Bandwidth for the Weird Things Podcast provided by Wired Tree. For sites of any size and world-class customer service, head on over to wiredtree.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Weird Things Podcast. I'm Andrew Maine, joined by Brian Brushwood. Hey, man. You're, you're live on location. Are you in a spaceship? Well, that's right, Brian. Justin. Justin Robert <laughs> Hi. <Young. laughs> I'm, I'm not in a spaceship. I am in a Scion TC. It's kind of the same thing. Uh, I have a uh, – my brother's in town, and uh, we'll call him Javier. And uh, we are taking a trip to Lake Arrowhead, and we're sort of like middle of uh, – Going from trying to get there before it gets dark, but I told him I said, "Listen, my dedication to the show is so much so that I'm I'm broadcasting. You can't stop me. You cannot stop. He didn't try to stop me, but I had to make can't it, stop like, the signal. Horrible. Yeah, man, look, you're busy fighting the forces of darkness. I get it. So I guess we need to we need to get straight to the weird with no ifs, ands, or booties. That's correct, sir. Uh, of course, we forgot a micro USB charger, so we're back in front of my place right now. That's fine. Um. Look, <laughs> that's, uh, I believe that's exactly how it happened on Apollo 13, if I remember the movie correctly. Exactly. Speaking of which, um, uh, and not at all secret, we were just at the Warner Brothers studio. We did the back lot tour. That was kind of interesting. Uh, what, what was the best, uh, what's the highlight of the uh, WB back lot tour? Did you meet the actual uh, Animaniacs? They look like Universal. <laughs> they, 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 uh, do the Animaniacs actually live up in that uh, water tower? I, I yeah, I mean, they, they. It was like before the thing, before the tour began. We watched the seven-minute film, and the last time I saw a piece of propaganda like that was when I wandered my way into a Dianetics, you know, to a Scientology center. Holy cow! It's like you know, you know, best in the. I'm. Mean, it's like yeah. I'm like I like the Warner Bros. Great studio, great history, whatever. But I'm watching this thing going, man, this is like, they're really, really proud of themselves. And they're like, yeah, we put this logo up there so Universal Studios could see it. Da, 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 da. It's like, hey, when are we going on the mummy ride? <laughs> oh, you, you don't have one. Right. And like, like oh, now we're going to see the Harry Potter exhibit. And like, oh, is that going to have like the whole, oh, no, it's just an exhibit. It's not the Harry Potter attraction built at Universal, you know, but. It's still fun. But now, I, now, I now if I remember correctly, I think I did. I, I believe it's at Warner Brothers. We were turning around one of the corners in the back lot, and all of a sudden, there was like the town square that was all town squares that I ever saw growing up. They're like, yeah, picture the General Lee driving past this. Picture this. We currently shoot this from that. And, it, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is. This is every small yeah. town in America. So Warner Brothers has their town square, and then Universal Studios has theirs. And so Universal Studios was, you know, Back to the Future, all that. Warner Brothers, as you pointed out, was was in Dukes of Hazard, is Hazard County, and all that. So, you know, they have their their dueling back lots, but uh, Universal's is much bigger, much, much, much bigger. But so it's neat, neat doing. Well, that's not why I'm Warner here, guys. Promotional film. <laughs> <laughs> not why I'm here. Not why we're here, guys. What, why, why are why are any of us here? I mean, listen, we we do got to fill time because nothing of interest happened since the last time that we we did a weird things in terms of science uh, news or news of the weird or the frontier pushing. Uh, so so Andrew, go ahead. Let, let's just get some more filler in here. Yeah, I don't know what to go then. There's nothing. But if we were to talk about something, uh, I went on a fact finding mission for us yesterday. Yeah. Okay. 
because you know, as you know, we covered the SpaceX launch and then the attempted re -land, attempted landing of the dra of the Falcon, and uh, it 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 returned to Earth successfully. Yep. Meaning that it, it hit the point where it was supposed to hit whatever the velo you know the angle and all that was a little bit off, and finally. Elon Musk released some video footage of the Falcon 9 coming back to Earth, hitting the barge. And it's not slamming in it at supersonic speeds, which is, of course... It is utterly spectacular footage. And and again, it's like, you know, everybody... This is this is a, 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 a tip of the hat to the acumen of, of the, I, I don't know, the, the social media capability of Elon Musk and of SpaceX in general, that they would intentionally release this utterly fantastic explosion footage of the first stage of a rocket gently like uh, swaggering in, tripping, and then blowing its crap up right across yeah. the, 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 the drone uh, I, 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 I believe, Brian, this is what's technically referred to as a whoopsie doodle. Uh, you know, it, the rocket is, like you said, gingerly landing, and, and it, it bears noting that I, I'm pretty sure this was first, if not exclusively, released on Vine. Yes, like, yes, no, I believe it came from uh, Elon Musk, who just said, close but no cigar, dot, 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 this time. And it's like, and you just put it out, like, and without, uh, I mean... This is the best failure I've ever seen, man. <laughs> this well, it's like, you know, he, they said, hey, there's maybe a 50% chance of success, and we don't even know. We're pulling that out of our butt because we don't really know what the chance of success are. That was, you know, being up front about that was cool. Um, and then, you know, then to finally, and the fact that, you know, what's amazing is you look at all the things that worked right. You know, yeah. this little tiny barge the size of smaller probably than a football field in the middle of the ocean, this rocket made it back from supersonic speeds, came down to a point that we can see this thing, and it's going a little bit too fast and just a little bit wrong angle, and they know why, They knew right away, they said, oh, the hydraulic fluid for the, the X-wing the grids, you know, we didn't have enough. And he said that the next rocket already has the right amount for it, so we think that'll be successful. And of course, like we're used to in space and things like that, like, you know, space industry, like, okay, well, the next launch, when's that going to be, 2025? How long do we got to wait? How long do we have to wait for the next launch? Uh, what, a week or two? January 29th. <laughs> That's what's amazing, man. These guys are moving so fast. And plus, it should be pointed out that all of this success, all of this advancement is bonus territory. They, they, None of this is in their contract. They didn't sign a deal with NASA to resupply the space station. And also, by the way, please figure out how to create a fully reusable three-stage rocket. They're, they're doing victory laps after this. Oh, of course. Of course. It's, and, you know, they're, they're you know, would be would have been wonderful if it absolutely worked perfectly the first time but then you kind of wonder like what don't we know but you know in this case you know it's they got a bunch of information they're excited about going forward nasa's excited they were able to successfully remember the whole purpose of this rocket launch was to resupply the international space station and that became that's become such a oh yeah yeah by the way they took this 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 you know 400 cubic foot capsule sent it into space it rendezvoused going 22,000 miles an hour with a platform that's 220 miles up in the air I did that too, by the way. But, I am. You know, I am not. Up. I'm not going to deny the fact that I definitely left this running in a loop all 
GD Day, the day it was released, it, because yeah. it's so hypnotic. It's amazing to watch it come in. To, to And wh- how must it have been to be part of the team seeing whatever live footage there was of this, where it's like it comes in, you're like, oh, my gosh, it's not slamming into the ground like you would expect. It's descending slightly askew. Also, suddenly it's ignited and the whole thing is on fire. It's astonishing. And you can just clearly see against the night sky just the, the tendrils of flame that are uh, you know scattered as it explodes. It really is amazing. And also, by the way, this is the successful return of a first stage rocket for every other time this has ever been done. Right? This like, is the oh, most oh, successful the first stage rocket. Is is a, a complete wash, and now it's in the ocean and it'll never be used again. That's de rigueur. It is it is the standard operating procedure, and it is only amazing that like it came down so gingerly. That is so amazing. Well, and I guess that's the weird part to me is that we live in an age. We've talked about this before. How finally, uh, you know, NASA has has learned that it's an extremely important of their or, uh, important part of their organization that they have a social media aspect to it. That they get people to understand why what they do is important, and they're very savvy. We talked about the uh, travel posters that they're doing. We, we we talk about the way they have press releases that are that are like uh, rock concerts when uh things happen and uh i i think that we live in an age where an honesty has to be part of the entire process and in this regard i think it's great that spacex is not refusing to release the footage that they're not saying like oh we didn't quite hit our mark where we wanted to because it's like they don't have no bureaucratic uh overlords to make look good they have shareholders to make look good and uh and what they want to do is tell the truth which is holy crap guys look how close we got to landing this thing also tell me that's not a kick-ass explosion it's awesome it's pretty awesome that's <laughs> it's, it's like yeah it's, you know got to bang a few things up there. You know, i gotta, got to rub a little paint, you know, to get this thing going. It's all good. I, I, I don't know if we talked about it on Weird Things, but uh, when I read uh, The Obstacle is the Way by uh, Ryan Holiday, there's a scene where he talks about uh, in his later years, uh, uh, Thomas Edison had one of his factories catch fire. And uh, all of these exotic rare materials are going up and the flames are, are blue and green and sh- stuff's exploding on all this stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's de rigueur on, on the Internet to crap all over Edison and to, to cheer Team Tesla or whatever. But the fact was, in the middle of watching his $20 million factory at the time, his entire fortune go up in flames, he ran full steam at like 60-something years old, grabbed his grandkids and said, you have to come now in your entire life. You will never see an explosion like this. And it's like all he was – his number one concern was that his kids, his grandkids get to see the most epic fire explosion of all time. And, uh, and I feel like there's a little bit of that happening in, uh, uh, you know, in this release as well. Well, and, and more than that, you know, or at least uh, to, to uh, piggyback on that, it, it is – and we touched on this a little bit last week – that this is not a given that people watch this and say how rad you know they're uh, we're still at the infancy of private space travel and it's only based on the goodwill of what spacex has done over the past five or six years that we are now at the point where we can watch something blow up we can watch a rocket blow up and have it not be immediate pr death or at least a a step backwards for spacex yeah, but it's also like SpaceX is a different position because we've had we've had 
there have been there were three blow-ups like 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 you know there was uh spaceship two had of course it's tragic you know it, you know tragic disaster you know where fortunately one one pilot was able to survive one lost his life you had you know the the other uh the other space station resupply rocket that didn't blow up and so there has been a sort of attitude but here spacex is like this is the part where we expect things to blow up this is the part this is we're at the point like we get thanks to the space station after that that cargo that spacecraft is dead weight you know it doesn't exist anymore nobody ever counts them and so now we're confident enough to come to experiment with that and to play with it so our explosions are different than your explosions in a sense oh certainly so and 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 and, and that is a a testament to how far SpaceX has has pushed the boundary, and, and they have uh, very much earned the right to release a vine where one of their rockets explode, and we can all lift our our hands and cheer. What an awesome explosion! And not like, well, look at look at the Yahoos trying to put rockets into the sky. Like you know, <laughs> yeah. they've earned it. They've earned that respect. So I went to SpaceX yesterday, thanks to our good friend TJ, and was able to bring my brother and another friend to show them. And I got to meet uh, TJ's kids, by the way. TJ's got these, he's got three of these super bright kids, which uh, complete faith in the universe. Anyhow, uh, when you remember we walked in and we were so taken by when we saw the landing leg and how they had the landing leg. That strut, that giant out. strut that they, you thought was a piece of the architecture, and it turns out to be a leg <laughs> to land. I knew what it was, Brian. I, it, I it, it, well, that's I was, okay. In my defense, I knew once you told me. All right, so that makes true. two of us who knew yeah. once you explained. In my it. defense, I, knew, I had no idea about anything, and I'm still unclear on what happened. Stopped crying and weeping, and you know, do you know what this means? Um, so what they have now, when you turn around and you see that landing strut, is they now have on that wall a photo, like an image of the fuselage of the rocket, and then like the background of like McGregor, Texas. So you get an idea, you see this thing, you know, what it's supposed to be. So it's not just the leg. Now you can see the rocket and everything else, which is a really cool addition. That's amazing. So you get the context immediately just by looking at it. Miming to my brother, give me a soda instead of a bottle top. Oh, dude, that's uh, I saw I saw that in Top Gun. That's uh, that's where you're flipping it upside down to dispense your Pepsi into your uh, <laughs> your mug, right? All right, so when we do redo re-edit Top Gun, it'll put in Coke Zero. So, gentlemen, now we're thinking like, all right, space, great. What is it good for? What do we want to use the space thing for? Right? So what? So what if we have a reusable rocket in two weeks? So what if we can reuse 70% of the craft and eventually be fully reusable? What's the big deal? Um, I mean, I would... Yeah, what is the big deal? I don't know. Hey, man, listen, uh, you rocket heads, you're always talking about <laughs> rockets. Like, I, don't give a, I don't give a rat's ass. How does that affect my mortgage? So maybe you're like, well, I'll tell you how it'll affect your mortgage, actually. So like, all right. Maybe, like, we go to, like, let's go to Mars, like, we could go to Mars. So Mars could be cool, because, like, you walk into SpaceX, one of the first things you see there is they have two photos of Mars. One is Mars as it is now, all red and dusty, and another one of Mars green and lush with water and life, right? But let's say you're like, you know what? I'm not so into Mars. What do you got for me? Like, well, you know, we got Venus. We talked about Venus, the problems of Venus. Like, Venus, you know, Venus is pain in the butt. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, granted, yes, but just understand, your focus should not be on Venus. It should be on uh, the ability to live with us among the clouds. That's yeah, that's right. what matters. You longer. truly belong with us and drinking True. Colt 45. Also rhymes yeah, have with you ever, have you ever seen an Ugnaught? I'm just saying. Ever see a what? 
and I'm not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, fine. So, so we could say, like, All right, let's go a little for that. Like, we have, I'm a big plan, plan I'm a big planner, promoter of living on asteroids, hollow them out, virtual reality. 3D projection system. Dude, everybody stuff. knows that you're an ass man. When it comes to Dude. space, he's all about damn asteroids. Am yeah. I right? I am. I am. I am, man. I'm like those, you know, those, you know, Trojan objects, all that. A big See, no, I t- here's what I feel. I feel like space people be in two categories. you either an ass man or you got roid rage. Either you're down with the asteroids or you hate them. I have other options for you here, right? Okay. Um, yeah. Well, for, Although I'm really curious for uh, Brian to describe what ass men be like. <laughs> ass men be like, oh man, I want to get up all in that. <laughs> I want to live right. inside. But we, but meanwhile, them roid ragers, I'll be all like, man, that, that ain't nothing but just just uh, ice and rock. No, do the voice. You got to go like, oh, I don't know. I think that's just ice and rock. <laughs> oh, those rocks in space sure do seem like a waste to me. I, I want Brian to do like, I like big rocks, but I can't have rocks. <laughs> 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 My asteroid don't want to that. <laughs> so... Moving further out, back to seriousness. So if we go further out, then after Mars, we've got a big again. Jupiter, Jupiter's big. Jupiter's really huge. You, you know, if you could, you could like live in the clouds of Jupiter, and you wouldn't be too heavy. You could Saturn, you'd be barely heavier than you are on Earth if you're in the clouds. Even though it's so much more massive than Earth, you're so much further away from the center of gravity. Your weight isn't going to be that big a difference. But you got that. But like Jupiter, we got Europa. We talked about Europa. Europa's cool. Twice as much water as Earth. Yeah. Uh, well, and I guess also, if, if am I remembering correctly that, uh, that that I know it's true for Jupiter. I don't know if it's the case for Saturn, but Jupiter puts off more heat than it takes in from the sun. Is that right? Maybe. I'm not <laughs> the one to judge. Let me uh, let me let me type that fact into Google and see if that's what comes up as correct. <laughs> so we go past Jupiter. You got uh, what do you got next? Um, Uranus. Yep. Yeah, Uranus. Neptune. You got. Neptune, right? And then you got, uh, you know, planetoid, uh, like you got, you got, you got Pluto, right? Yep. Yeah. And then there's like some other objects out there, Sedna, whatever. And then like, you know, there's some, some other kind of big objects that aren't that big, but are still, you know, not, you know, things you ignore like, uh, Ceres, et cetera. But anyhow, gentlemen, you want other options that you're saying like, yeah, maybe Pluto's too small for me. Maybe I want something else. What do you got? Maybe you want to yeah. go a little further outside the neighborhood because the real estate prices are really high. Everybody's hold going to on, hold on. Are we about to start talking about like some of these dark stars that may or may not be harboring some chemocentric light life? Um, dark stars. No, we're not talking about dark stars right now. No, I mean dark planets. Just those floating planets. Well, we're not talking about rogue planets, Brian. What what else is there? I mean, there's the orc cloud. Come on, I need to know options. So, uh, what about what about maybe I don't know, 180 light years out there, still technically within the confines of our solar system. You got all kinds of other potential objects: trans uranium or uranium objects, trans uranium objects, or trans Newtonian objects, rather. Pardon me. You've got these other potentials. There's some, there's some research paper that just came out, a couple scientists, these madcap scientists saying, hey, you know what? We've looked at the math, and we've come to a different conclusion than some of you all have, and we think it's entirely possible there might be super-Earths 180 light-years or so away from Earth, but technically within our solar system. 
180 light years. Okay, AUs, AUs, got it, got it. No, I, man, that uh, that went by me twice, and I was just like, man, I really don't think you could call it. Okay, but I'm glad, I'm glad it's AUs. The got new it. Map, Brian. It's the new map. It's 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 Andrew Math. Got it. So anyhow, you've got now. There's a pull up like uh, I think type in like trans uh, Neptunian objects, or type in like new planets. I can switch over to Pocket to see if I can pull up the, the research paper. But you know, there's some credible people saying there might be some very massive objects out there that are 180 astronomical units away, which is uh, astronomical unit is by the way is like 90 million miles. All right, so what uh, should surprise no one is the first thing to come up is a Wikipedia entry where it talks about the list of trans-Neptunium objects, um, and there's a lot of them. There's a lot of objects. Holy cow, is there a lot of them. And this is all just real estate. In in terms of what we would look at with today's technology, how long is it, like, at, at... optimum would it take for us to get from where we are to where they are? So, okay, if you type in two or more undiscovered planets can be hiding in our solar system, you can pull up the IO9 article about this. Okay. As far as as far as getting there, so so if we want to do a little bit of math, we look for like, you know, you have objects that can we have like a craft that can pick up speed as they leave our our, you know, trajectory they do maybe get like a solar and you know if we're going if, you're, if we're sending stuff to the moon it's maybe going like 25,000 miles an hour if we're sending stuff further on like we have probes going 40,000 miles an hour you have someone eventually pick up speeds that are moving like even a block faster than that we have on the we have speculative technology not not fanciful stuff but speculative stuff like plasma engines and stuff that might take you up to 300,000 miles an hour well, so, so, so what, does that, what does that mean in terms of um, uh, our ability to, to run on out there? So what we would do is we'd say, okay, we said, if we said there are 180 astronomical units, there should be 180 times 90 million. Math for us. Well, okay. 180 times. I, 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 guess, I guess for me, I'm less concerned about how quickly we're able to get out there, but more concerned with like uh, – uh, how, how do we power those things? I mean, I guess if the objects are big enough, uh, as you've proposed before, because you're an ass man, uh, you carve out the inside, you throw some kind of fusion sun-like entity in the middle that is is controlled, radiating out heat and getting right. us all to a toasty these, 70 degrees. These are things we're carving out. These things could be Earth-sized or bigger. Well then, how do you? How do you? Well, how no, do no, we... no, 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 no. Uh, you're, you're talking about the trans-Neptunian uh, objects, right, Andrew? I'm talking about the the potential. We're going beyond that now. Talk about the stuff that's the bigger stuff that's out there that could still be out there. That's you know. Okay, yeah, yeah. Stuff. So it's not not just carving, hollowing out uh, an, an asteroid like these are. But, but that that seems like that seems asteroid. like a like a bigger problem. I guess I mean we could still dig in holes and and live underground inside them. Uh, and what's funny is, as I'm asking, how do we do this? Tensor guy in the chat is as if it's a sporting event. Is is shouting antimatter, 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 antimatter. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess so. I mentioned that uh, our show is one of the top science educational podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's amazing. So you say, okay, how do we? What do we? How do we got this cold ball somewhere out there in the middle of the, the farthest reaches of our solar system that may be Earth size? Now think about this. As we've talked about with rogue planets before, it doesn't mean it's totally inert. You can have geothermal activity, you can have water, you can have ice caps, you can have liquid water underneath the ice caps, you can have, you know, oceans, entire oceans there. But how do you, you know, how would you make this thing habitable? You know, that's a good question. You know, we could, you know, the, the amount of solar collectors you would need would be just immense to try to collect enough sun's energy, but there might be other ways to try to figure out, like, you know, domes on the surface, what have you, living in the ground, but you would have Earth, you could have Earth-sized Earth gravity. I'll tell you what, though, like, like picture, uh, picture a world in which, you know, once we crack a few energy barriers or what, what have you, so picture we find one of these, um, uh, you know, roughly planetoid-sized things. It's, it's got a crust of, of we'll even say, uh, rock all the way around, but there's a core or a, a giant layer of liquid water in the middle, uh, some chemothermic vents uh, and some natural life or whatever. Uh, it seems like by the time we would get to this point, we'd be we'd be so rad. I mean, we can make cats glow nowadays. It seems like we could just uh, introduce some some glowing um, uh, algae, populate the entire outer surface with it, uh, build yourself a few bubble cities, and uh, and some some fish that glow. And this place could feel you. It, it wouldn't feel like uh, like claustrophobic, like you're trapped inside of a of a, of a you know, on the edge of space inside of a um, uh, an asteroid. Anyone growing up there is just going to believe that uh, they have the best view in, in the galaxy of of this amazing uh, light bright sea aquarium all around them. You know, Freeman Dyson had said something. I think it was Freeman Dyson had suggested something for how to try to detect life on the outer outer planets or the outer moons. And his idea was we should shine a really, really bright laser towards, like, the moons of Jupiter or Saturn. Because his theory was that if there were things that were that far out there, that they would be trying to collect as much sunlight as possible, and they would probably reflect light back like a cat's eye. Oh, wow. That's... So if you go that much further out, maybe there's not life, but as you pointed out, if there's geothermal life, maybe we can engineer, like you talked about, algae, things like that. I think that's a great idea. I mean, maybe we make like Pandora, you know. You know, maybe maybe what we do is we have fine-like things that grow on the surface we can walk through and climb through, and it's an organic thing. Maybe we're thinking of a novel in our head right now. Well, well it's it's so funny because I spent, I spent the first half of my life, and I guess statistically it's now the first half of my life since my birthday was yesterday and I turned old. Um, the, uh, uh, I spent the whole first half of my life thinking, uh, wondering, you know, are we alone and hoping we weren't and hoping there's other stuff. And now maybe it's something about, you know, I've made life. I made three beautiful little girls and we continue to shape them all of a sudden. I'm so okay. If we're first, all that means is that we get to be the architects. We get to shape the world and, uh, the universe in, in, in fact, and it's like, I don't know that the. I, I am shocked at my pivot in that regard of feeling like really good of like, to me, if there's nobody else out there, that's rad. Just means there's a big old blank canvas for me. We're going to shave our heads down naked, dive into Niagara Falls and spread our seed. Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> 
Andrew's got a very weird idea of procreation, by the way. That's how you have kids, right? You shave down your head, you jump in naked in Niagara Falls. Next thing you know, you're out on the shore, the kid comes out. Oh, you're you're talking about Prometheus. I get it. Okay. No, 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 what Justin said. Okay. (laughs) Well, what's funny is first I was thinking about Leo Laporte of the Twit Network (laughs) because he recently shaved his head. And I was trying to follow him (laughs) into the jumping off Niagara Falls. (laughs) I think it's amazing that we're looking at this so seriously. And, and what, what, what's really thrilling to me is how much we can link our first two stories of, you know, these discoveries and this, like, rapid advance in, in rocket technology, the likes of which we haven't seen in, in decades and decades and decades. And I think that's what's so uh, awesome about, you know, momentum in this area, in, in this science, is that, like, now everything is seen in a different light than if this exact same stories about the undiscovered planets in our solar system were to come out 10 years ago, it would be like a talking point and something for like, you know, the front page of the science section of USA Today or something that would be 200 words. And that's really all it would matter in terms of pop culture. Now, when it's next to SpaceX looking to make rocketry cheaper and and we are are rapidly uh, approaching a point where this is going to be something that is in the next year or so of our of our worldview. All of it is more impactful. Yeah, man. The fact that uh, I, 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 you you probably know this by rote, uh, Andrew, but like you know, you think about the space race, and obviously we threw a bunch of bad rockets up in the air. But because of the, you know, we were just throwing so much money at the problem that it didn't even matter. There had to be rockets that they saw blow up on the launch pad, didn't even make it up, didn't get more than 20 feet in the air, crashed and blew up. But they had seven more of the same wrong design that, and I'm making all of this up, but I would imagine that they had to just keep on going. I was like, well, we're spending the money. We need, maybe there's something else we'll learn from these things. You know, that was the early stages of NASA. You know, the first thing we did is we took took a lot of the, we took the V-2 rockets that we had that the Germans had built. By the way, the first people to put an object in his face, the Nazis, um, and they were bad people because they couldn't see the potential for good. You know, that was, a, they talk like Werner von Braun, you know, like we talked about when they watched the first rocket, he was, he was like, great, it's just landed on the wrong planet when it bombed London. Right. Um, but, you know, we took those rockets and then we, we, we created a civilian space agency, very much thinking about the impact and how much was driven by war and when it created a civilian space agency, but we did tons of explosions and we had the Redstone rockets. Lots and lots and lots of blow-ups. Lots of this trying to figure out how these things work. And that's and every time you want to push the envelope, you do that. And the problem is, is once you push it and then you figure out what works, you are afraid to try something different. You know, the Soviets developed really good rocket technology. They tried some different stuff. Like, you look at, like, their big, like, heavy-lift rockets. They tried with spinning rotary. I mean, just did crazy designs. And then those kind of failed on them. The Buran, their space shuttle didn't sort of work out. And then they just sort of went back to what was best with the Soviets, which is super dependable. And then when the Soviet Empire ended, and you look at modern Russia, they haven't evolved those rockets. Well, I, I would imagine, you know, uh, given that the Cold War was so much of, of a pissing contest when it came to the space race, where it's like it was a loss if you launched a rocket that did poorly and spectacularly blew up and that footage were to escape or go somewhere. Like you wanted hits. You wanted to be known as the people who kept getting into space over and over and over again. Whereas weirdly, 
uh, we, we live in a culture that that I, I think in a very positive way, you know, Internet culture is one that praises failure. You know, it, it shows that you're Trying taking chances. Yeah. Uh, 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 yeah. They, uh, it, it, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I think we try to, if you're trying something new and different, we sort of embrace that. If you fail at something we've been doing already, then it's like, well, come on. I want to, I want to change the topic, but only so slightly, only a few degrees. So imagine you're a hypothetical industrialist who's developing rapidly, rapidly reusable rockets. You're about to announce maybe this year a new line of rockets that could take you to Mars just in theory that you're this guy that can do this, that you have, you're on the verge of doing this. And you're not only saying, okay, problem number one, I need to make a cheaper rocket. Pretty much, we think we've got that figured out. Problem number two, we need to make a much, much bigger rocket. And you're like, okay, our designs have been good so far. We think we know the pathway to a, to a much, much bigger rocket. You're like that. And so then you're like, all right, we can go to Mars. But then you have another problem. Well, how to, how to make Mars fun again. <laughs> it's like why go to Mars that dusty old windbag yeah, dusty old claptrap let's, let's say that you you know you're, you're not worried about enthusiasm to go there but like Brian if we went to Mars right now right now we hopped into Mars we hopped into rocket we went to Mars what would we find uh, what would what would we find? We'd find me holding my breath and squeezing my eyes shut so that I don't exactly because I I solve I saw Total Recall, sir. Yeah. So we have a little problem. We might have the rockets to go to Mars, but you know, humans were delicate. We need some place to live. We need some place to hang out. You know, my the Andrew Main maxim is I ain't going to Mars till there's a Taco Bell. <laughs> Elon Musk has realized this and he's like, all right. All right, you wanted me to. You wanted a cheaper rocket. I've done this, guys. All right, you want a reusable rocket. All right, I'm building this. But we want to go to Mars. You guys, oh great. Okay, fine. I will build rockets that will go to Mars. Are you happy now? Like, oh, what are we going to do with Mars? That's your problem now. You need a Martian city. Is that what you're saying? You need a city on Mars, right? Say what. Say what. I hope you're. Say what. I hope beyond all words. I hope you're about to say, Andrew Main. Well, I mean, he said we need to build a city on Mars. But he's taking it a step forward. How are we going to pay for this city on Mars? Uh, with Martian gold. Martian bitcoins? What could be that? Uh, Elon Musk is a very practical guy as we passed our second Tesla on the road. Elon Musk has a plan to take <laughs> by the way, By the way, this is not a joke. This is actually who Andrew Main is. As he is dictating his, his popular podcast, listened by tens of thousands of people, uh, novelist uh, Andrew Main is also passively counting the number of Teslas on the highway. As a shareholder, I have an interest. <laughs> so, so Musk made it. Musk made a talk last night in Seattle, where he announced that they're opening up an office for SpaceX in Seattle, where they'll be hiring people to do more design. That's one of the things that was very apparent to me, by the way, when I went to SpaceX yesterday. They're bursting at the seams. I mean, they are. You know, this is. You look over in one place. This is where they make the engines. Over here is where they're making the capsules. Over here, they make the spacesuits. That's really cool that they do that, but they're getting too big. And when they want to start making craft to go to Mars, they need more space, more designers, all this. But he says, yeah, I'm opening up an office in Seattle. And by the way, we're looking to get into another area of business because uh, we think this could be very successful. And we want to fund If I want to fund a city on Mars, 
We'll need to do this. Oh my God! Are you saying you need Mars mobiles? You need like cars to cruise no, Mars? I, think, I, I mean, having, he's I mean, got a terrestrial business. He's launching now that he has these really cheap rockets. He says he's going to provide. He's going to become an internet provider. They're trying. They're looking into developing. Oh shoot! I read about this. Yeah, yeah. They have to build. They have to build Mars's internet. Before, but that's part of it. But he's going to build internet on Earth first. He wants to take a ring of like hundreds of satellites, not at thirty thousand feet out or whatever geostationary orbit is. He wants to put this at 700 miles out. He says it will be competitive with fiber. Because okay, all right, all right. So 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 for for the le- the the for those even less technical than these two magicians and blogger about magicians, uh, the uh, magician, thank you. <laughs> uh, but but like a uh, circus uh, magician, circus but, magician. Thank okay, you. all right, fine. <laughs> the the the, uh, uh, the uh, problem. Our pizza bus boy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, does this make me technically the most qualified? It's because I used to work for Dell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay, okay, all right. Employee, circus magician, and tower pizza of Davie, Florida, busboy. So, so when uh, when when somebody gets uh, satellite internet, there's the the problem with it is that while the bandwidth is is very very high. In fact, I remember in uh, 1996, 1997, we were one of the first to get the uh, the the direct PC. Uh, by Hughes uh, satellite thing. We happen to have a south-facing balcony in our in our in our thing, and it was awesome. We had T1 speeds. It was over a megabit. However, the uplink had to be over our 56k modem, uh, and and there was a giant like two or three second lag. So it was utterly useless for playing video games. However, if you wanted to download big files, it happened. And the reason the lag was so huge was because it has you. It had to go, as you pointed out, you know, eight miles out, get bounced off off a satellite, gets reflected down, then get back to the internet. But if you're saying it's only how how many miles up? No, Robert, it, it's satellite internet. It's going to thirty thousand miles out. 30,000 miles. Dag, oh, you're right. So it's taking taking, uh, quite a few trips around the surface of the Earth to to make its round trip from the satellite back to you. And understand, you go to the satellite, it's got a ping somewhere on Earth, get a response, they go ping that satellite. You you ping the satellite, the the satellite pings Earth, it gets the information, then it goes back to that satellite, comes back down to you, so it's taking a total of... It's going halfway to the moon and back. Yeah, What's well, and, and speaking of which, like I believe the latency to the moon is is two full seconds, right? And I remember yeah. thinking, uh, this is what a child I was in college was the moment I found that out, I was like, you could never play Doom from the moon. You would, you would, you would just get your butt kicked. You, you can't do two thousand milliseconds lag. So uh, people in the chat are saying that that latency on geostationary satellites is about a half milli, or a half a second, five hundred milliseconds, which is huge. Yeah, and, and again, that that's assuming best case scenario, and that and that's under. And so what what Musk has said, and the reason you use geostationary is because it's just one satellite. You hit it, it comes back. It's over one area. Another version that you can do is a constellation of satellites, like the Iridium Network, is the idea if you have a bunch of satellites that are much lower orbits, like 300, 200 miles up, and they're handing off traffic back and forth. And that, and as switching technologies become faster, that's become a better technology. And when we built Iridium, we designed that like 20 years ago, guess what? Things are much better now. Musk wants to put, and, and by the way, like, I mean, there, and there's tons of satellites there, despite what some certain famous astronomers said when they criticized the movie. Uh, it's, it's very right for using communication satellites. What Musk wants to do is put them up at about 700 miles up because he thinks that's a pretty good, a bunch, hundreds of these 
satellites up there. And using really fast switching, and he points out that light travels like like light travels something like forty percent or sixty percent faster in a vacuum than it does during through fiber. Wait, so 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 if if I can guess where you're headed here, um, it would actually be faster to go the 700 miles out to space and then have it relay the long way around the planet rather than go through a glass-based medium like fiber optic cable on the planet Earth just to get to the other side of the planet. Or competitive, or competitive with that. That's astonishing because you realize not only, um, and and I'm sure he's thinking of these kind of things. Number one, uh, he'll, he'll make a mint because he will lay the groundwork for what will be the internet uh, on on Mars. But more importantly, and probably less discussed, is despite the fact that this will be a private corporation who's doing it, and you could demonize private corporations all you want. At the end of the day, this would be the complete democratization of high speed internet across the entire planet Earth, right? Well, it's, it's an internet service that exists outside of boundaries and borders. You don't have to worry about, you know, the big question is where is he going to get the bandwidth on Earth level to do this? But, yeah, it, it becomes, it introduces an idea of building an internet that's, as you point out, totally free of land, totally free of borders, totally free of that. You can make it Like, like, like all, all of a sudden, like there was a moment that Egypt just switched off the internet. That would not be possible under this under this scenario. Yeah, it would be, I mean, it, it, it mean, there are, you know, you can help jammers and things like that, but it was effectively it would be very difficult to do. Well, and and and, and, in, in, and to put it in the context of other news this week, you know, uh, President Obama put forth uh, support for legislation that would repeal uh, municipal broadband internet restrictions and stuff like that. Like, it is very complicated to lay fiber optic or, you know, gigabit uh, internet right now in general, no matter who you are, be you a government or private entity. This takes a step in saying, hey, listen, all you need is the equipment and we're ready to roll because because we're just hovering outside, uh, you know, seven hundred miles out above the earth. Yeah. So it, it, the, the 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 short answer is that it means that you know your future phones, your future devices like that might just have a chip that's designed to talk to there, and that you're buying your telephone and your internet from Elon Musk. I mean, uh, uh, as the chat room rightly points out, uh, how long until he changes his last ru- last name to Wayland or Tyrell? I mean, this is this is the kind of person who uh, uh, ends up running a, a legacy empire to last generations. He's got five kids. <laughs> um, um, you know what? Like, are we going to enter in a, 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 an Egyptian style pharaonic dynasty? You know, I don't know. But so far from where I'm looking, it looks pretty good. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what, though. This was what one of my one of my favorite moments uh, that you know, as 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 painful as it was at the moment, uh, was when I was doing this week in tech and I was speaking to. Um, uh, uh, oh, doggone it! Who's the science fiction author that's amazing? That's always on there uh, that I argued with. Um, uh, Moten God's Eye. Uh, oh, Jerry Purnell. Jerry Purnell uh, thought everyone was crazy for doing all this just-in-time management, uh, relying on the Internet for stuff to show up days before. And he talked about the need to have stores of this, that, and the other. Uh, and, and my response to him 
was was you know what else requires just in time management uh, and information you know efficiency is my liver and my heart and my lungs like like they operate with the assumption that this the next shipment of oxygen rich red blood cells is going to show up on time and I think that's where we're getting to where it's like um you know uh, the three of us are are old enough to remember a time when the power went out fairly regularly uh, that uh, what, certainly cable went out all the time and nowadays we live in a, a phase where that's just this is crazy talk that never happens and uh, although the internet still goes I want to live in your place my cable going to stop all the time oh does it really i i mean oh, well, yeah. but, but at the same time it's like you know, now it's like, oh crap! Now I have to tether my phone to my. Uh, yes, my, it's my an inconvenience because you're like, oh, now I gotta reroute this other subsection of the brain because I had a stroke. Uh, well, I mean, there's just it's far more blanketed, or it's like if everything's really a piece of crap, you have to go across the street to the Starbucks or something. You know, the the. Yeah, idea. I mean, but, uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah, but I mean, I I took out. I I said, all right, I know if I want to get from get, get to where we're going before it gets dark. I was pretty confident, though. I can hop in my car, turn on my phone, use my LTE connection, and do a video connection with you guys. Absolutely. You know, well, and, and, and that's and, – and here's what nailed it is uh, – and by the way, this is a good segue for us to take a moment and thank all of our fabulous patrons. Uh, right now, this is a commercial operation. We are two-thirds of our way to our goal of, of uh, $1,000 an episode. We're at 620 an episode. Uh, once we hit $1,000 an episode, we're able to continue to pay for our fantastic uh, producer, Bryce Castillo, in order to make everything happen. There's a few extra bucks for us to run some experiments and for uh, us to guarantee that we'll show up every single day. Uh, on time, give or take, and the mere fact that you're able to uh, uh, do a passable job hosting this show, Andrew, while your chauffeur drives you and you use a global intercommunication network in order for us to talk about what I assume next will be goblins is freaking amazing, man. I'm a fan. <laughs> uh, by the way, we are at 399 right now. Who's going to be 400? 400 patrons. Well, that's that's uh, uh, we're creeping up on the size of my graduating class. Who's gonna be next? I'm hitting refresh. We're still at 399. Still at 399. By the way, keep in mind all of this stuff is what keeps us 100% independent and uh, able to continue to grow the constellation of in- independent producers stars that you've come to enjoy thanks to your friends at DiamondClub.tv. You buy independent. I mean, if we could be any more further into you know the, the pocket or the, the, the devotion of, of SpaceX and. Elon yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, you know, po- pony up, Elon. We know you're listening. It's, it's like it ain't like we're gonna change our opinions. Might as well just go ahead and hire us full time. Exactly. Just I, I, officially bring I, us in as your propaganda ministers. I'm afraid to like mention that I'm gonna go to you know, like go visit there or whatever because I'm afraid they'll like I'll go to the desk I'm like yeah, hey, Elon says you kind of gotta tone it down. All right, yeah. I might, I might, uh, I might literally be setting money aside in an account that within five years I hope would be enough to uh, to, to buy a Tesla vehicle. Them self-driving cars, though. Know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, I'm a fan. All right, gentlemen, is it time for picks? Yeah, uh, I, I, I got uh, two, two picks. One is completely self-serving. The other is something that kind of touched me out of nowhere. I didn't really expect to. Uh, well, let me go with my pick first, Brian. All right, go for it. Uh, go for it. So my pick is, it's self-serving, um, so I'm going to self-serve it myself first, is uh, I want everybody, I've seen the first parts of this, I'm a fan of this, uh, and uh, I'm excited where this is going, it's uh, one of my favorite 
franchises in comic books. By comic books, I mean motion pictures on television. We call TV shows, and I'm talking hacking the system tomorrow, Monday night on that Geo. <laughs> you did it! You totally tricked me! I went eight <laughs> different directions. I didn't know what to actually load up. Uh, well, as no, a matter no, of fact... No, no, little Brian Brushwood here. Uh, after the very, very successful uh, TV special he did, hacking the system, that Geo was like... You know what? We need more Bry. We need more Bry. We got more Bry. I need an injection of Bry. I need Bry doing things, showing me how to do things, break windows, use batteries, do stuff, all kinds of crazy stuff. We need a lot of Bry. We need Bry. America needs Bry. The world needs Bry. And they have more Bry. More Bry is coming to you. But you've got to watch it tomorrow. I think one of my favorite things, yes, it is tomorrow night. We're going to do a live watch party. Everybody's invited. Uh, it's going to be happening at DiamondClub.tv. It'll be 9 p.m. Central Time uh, on uh, Nat Geo is the channel um, in beautiful high definition. The first two episodes that they've Ten selected Easter. to run. 10 Eastern. 10 Eastern. Everybody else can do math. Half the population of, the, of America lives on the East Coast. Okay. Yeah, well, I, I I don't trust myself to. Bonnie always gets confused because she's like, "Why do you say 10? Uh, that that's also how my wife talks. Uh, tell her, don't don't tell her. <laughs> Ryan, I, that. Well, I don't know why you keep saying ten. <laughs> um, the, my favorite thing that happened, I, I I asked for I asked for like you know, uh, hey, if you want to give me a birthday present, just show me a screen cap of your DVR is set to record hacking the system. And Grant Davis from Rage Select podcast, uh, and uh, by the way, my co-host Jason Murphy is on Rage Select. Like podcast threw together this this amazing uh, hacking the system returns forty second uh, with a couple of screws and a couple of wires into a taser. How did you make that thing? I can't tell you, but I will say, and it really did take me less than five minutes. Once it's finished, all you have to do is charge the thing up like this, and it's ready to rock. Half discharge, like oh god. <laughs> 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 All right, so if you want to laugh like Salacious Crumb. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, here, uh, let me let me go ahead and do do my pick. <laughs> go for uh, it. Go for it. <laughs> I, uh, you know, really, and this is this is I'll, I'll put very much in context of just finishing The Martian, uh, Andy Weir's uh, novel on audiobook that uh, I really am excited for hacking the system this <laughs> Monday on Nat Geo. I've had the pleasure of seeing some of the early episodes while Brian was still filming them. I saw some <laughs> of the rough cuts. Uh, it is. It is a show not only that everybody who is listening to this will enjoy because you know Brian and you you likely watched the uh, the, the the first couple specials, but they are intensely shareable and they are very friendly to new viewers. This is something where you can just recommend it to some random person that knows that barely shares your sensibilities, but also uh, you are never more than uh, you know sixty seconds away from learning something and, and having a fun little fact that you can bring to the water cooler the next day. Uh, it, it is a perfect use of Brian and Jason as in, incredibly likable people with, uh, you know, an amazing 
uh, rapper around it. It, it. It's something that I think everyone's going to be really, really pumped to watch. Tomorrow, 10 p.m. Eastern time. That's 9 Central. <laughs> oh, is it? I, I didn't know. Uh, by the way, I, I, have, I have a different uh, a clip that I thought you guys might like here. Let's just go ahead. <laughs> Uh, hey, Brian, what's your pick? <laughs> My pick is not hacking the system. My pick is for the Hacking the System live watch party that we're doing tomorrow night <laughs> on DiamondClub.tv. We're going to have a big old fat party. Jason Murphy, co-host of National Geographic's Hacking the System, will be joining us live. It's going to be amazing. Uh, although, although if I wanted to give you guys some content <laughs> outside of that, um, I, uh, you guys know that I'm a fan oh, of 99% no. Invisible. Uh, it's a- yeah, Brian, yeah. What does that have to do with hacking the system? Save it for next week. All save right. it for next week. I'll, I'll save it. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure he'll be tuning in for the Hacking the System live watch party <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> uh, yeah, dude. It's well, going to be amazing. Listen, I mean, let me just make this clear. Uh, this is, uh, you know, a, a, a real big moment. Uh, I know... Uh, you know, not only for, for Brian, but for everybody around, uh, uh, you know, around Brian that has seen what went into, you know, you, you shooting that and, and how much effort uh, that, that, that you put into it. I know that you're really proud of, of, of the product. And this is going to be something that uh, I, I really think is going to be worth everybody getting behind because uh, it, you got a great time slot. You're, you're behind the channel's uh, current biggest show. You know, they're really giving you a good uh, a, a good shot here. And yeah, the, the, uh, sp- had- specifically, like uh, I believe their number one show is uh, Brain Games. I might be wrong about that, but I do know that mar- tomorrow, uh, Monday, probably is most uh, today, as most of you are listening to this, they are doing an all day extravaganza where they're doing nothing but Brain Games, leading into the premiere of Brain Games for this season, followed by it's a hell of a leading for uh, for for hacking the system. Uh, and- Brian, that is, that's fantastic. It all matters, guys. Like, if you are tweeting about it, it matters. If you have a DVR, it matters. If you can watch it live, it matters. Uh, If, you know, getting behind this show on its premiere date means everything. So if you want to support it today, if you're listening to this Monday, is the time to do it. So Monday, 10 p.m. Eastern time, 9 p.m. Central. And and guess what? Hey, Brian, a week from tomorrow, Monday night? If only we could do it all over again. Oh, but wait, we can. So listen, if you're getting this message Tuesday and you're like, oh, man, I missed out. Oh, I failed, Brian. I failed these guys. I'm horrible. What do I do? Uh, watch it next week. Yeah, dude. Uh, uh, they're they're, they're going to be uh, – we got a lot of episodes. It turns out that when you leave your family for three or four months straight, you get to record a lot of awesome television during that time that's going to get played and played and played and played. And uh, uh, I'll tell you what, man. You guys are going to dig uh, – one of the things that we do with the watch party is there will be brief moments where we play enough of the audio that you can synchronize up our – experience with your live viewing whether it's time shifted whether it's live whatever it is uh we we essentially want to make this kind of your unofficial um uh companion your audio companion to 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 watching it your commentary track uh which by the way a certain 
a certain other uh, network that's also delightful that I also work with uh, seems to have done that this past Friday. Uh, do you see Mythbusters essentially did their watch Mythbusters with Adam and Jamie thing? Like, like it was pretty much straight up our gag. Uh, no, but I think it's a great idea and one that uh, we pioneered with the hacking the system specials and don't trust Andrew May. Agreed. Congratulations, Adam and Jamie. We hope you enjoy it. Anyway, thank you to everybody who uh, was so patient during the shooting of all that. I'm so excited, dude. I'm crazy stoked. I'm going to be insanely uh, drunk for that. I'm just going <laughs> to celebrate so hard. Brian's going to hack his own reality. Yeah, dude. I'm going oh. I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do mushrooms for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in. This is this is the big. This is the go home, man. We gotta plug this. I mean, yeah. Come on, man. It's like what? What else is it gonna be? It's like it's like it turns out I don't even know how to do it. I'm just eating like uh, shiitake mushrooms. I'm like, oh my god, this is the greatest moment of my life. So, Brian, are you having that moment where you're afraid you're gonna wake up tomorrow and realize it was all a dream? Uh, If it is, dude, I'm gonna wake up and I'll be like, best dream ever. You're like, hey, buddy, is it on? Like, and like, it's an empty room. You're back by yourself. <laughs> I'm like, my life, my children, my co-hosts. Um, it turns, oh man. What, okay, let's let's talk. Wait, they can hear my voice going. Imagine that we do a show and you have your own TV show. <laughs> <laughs> my life is a is an Andrew Main weird thing scenario. Pretty much my <laughs> definition of hell. Like the idea that everything is undone and I'm 18 years old is pretty much a nightmare. I don't even know. Like, okay, this is actually. Okay, can we do a little cherry on top? If you suddenly woke up at 18, uh, every, uh, the, the past however many years were undone, happy or not happy? Oh, I'm annoyed. You're annoyed, so I'm broken. Like, I'm so invested. I'm so invested in in what my life has become. I'm so emotionally invested in my kids and my wife and, and, and the life I've created. If I woke up and this was a dream... I mean, I'd probably, I'd probably roll over and eat a bullet. Just you know, like, oh, well, that was a dream. Never gonna get better. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I, I, there was a book called by Ken Grimwood called like Replay, and it was like about that. Like a guy wakes up in his life. Like, he, and this was this book came out in the '80s, where it was like he wakes up and it's like 1970 or something like that. So like, he goes and makes Star Wars and. What man? I uh, forgive the language, but it's like I sit here and describe it as a nightmare scenario that would induce me to immediately commit suicide. And the same proposal to Andrew made. I wish we had a screen grab of the Tom Cruise-like grin on his face as he says, "Not me." <laughs> I don't have like I don't have a wife or kids, so it's not like I would be murdering them, you know, with my wish. <laughs> Uh, which, by the way, uh, d- uh, y- you finished. Um, uh, this is kind of semi spoilery or whatever, but 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 you finished uh, uh, the Abyss Beyond Dreams, right? No, I have not. I'm still like maybe halfway into it. Oh my god, so good! And and you need. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be on you to go back and read um, uh, the whole uh, Void trilogy because one of the, my favorite things about that series, and I, and I, I don't think this is a story like like to have a hardcore science fiction story. 
where it builds in a structure, like a scientific structure for how you could do things like travel through time uh, and, and, uh, and, and ESP and telepathy and, and uh, telekinesis and stuff. Like uh, th- their answer is, is that all of this takes place inside an abyss and, and the abyss as, as more important things have to happen. Like if you're going to use uh, your mental ability to go back in time, well then it needs to rebuild reality back to however far back you go mentally. And in order to do that, the abyss has to expand and absorb a few more stars, convert them into energy and then rebuild reality to, to this thing. Uh, it's, it's, it's a brilliant, brilliant uh, combination of the hardest science fiction I've ever read and some of the, my favorite uh, fantasy that I've ever read. I really enjoyed it so far. So, man, right, I'm really excited that we survived this episode. Uh, yeah, I didn't expect everything to work. Let let us all well, praise Musk. We still have after things too, so I'm going to say it's been weird. I will agree. So will I.